Welcome back to season two of Americanish Daughters of Diaspora. My name is Miriam Waba. And I'm Adela Kochav, and together we are the Daughters of Diaspora. So it's been a really, really busy time. Number one, thank you to everyone who watched season one. Our episodes are still available, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, IGTV, and we're also now on TikTok. So it's been amazing to watch the show go on. And now that we're filming the second episode, there's a lot of things that are different. So number one, the studio has been updated. It oh looks yeah. beautiful. Looks More really colors. nice. More yeah. colors. Plant. Um, Number two, I mean, the biggest change for me, oh, yeah, plan. <laughs> um, biggest change for me is that when we were filming season one, I was in law school. Yeah. And I was, you know, between studying for finals or having study groups or applying for clinics and all these crazy things, I realized I never actually talked about being in law school on the show. So, you know, a quick recap for anyone who's considering going to law school, um, I'm just going to tell you straight out, it's very different from getting a master's. Getting a master's, you just kind of like go back to school. But when you talk to anyone who's been to law school, it's like, oh, you're going to law school. It's kind of like a train that's like moving and like you just have to like hop on the train. And there's specific stops at everyone. It doesn't matter what law school you go to. Your 1L year is very structured. There's things that you do during your 2L year that all law students do in your 3L year. It's just kind of like it matters less what school you go to and more like that you're doing well in the things that are standard baseline. Hmm. So um, – for example, um, you know, certain schools have clinics which do in-house work for certain areas. Like there's an immigration clinic or things like that. There's prosecutor clinics. And when you do a clinic, it's like you're working with a professor one-on-one. -on -one. So it doesn't matter what school you go to. If you go to a clinic, it looks really good. And so are you working with real people in real cases? Yeah, real people, real cases. Um, it's, for like the, it's almost like, um, you know, for, for the most part, it's pro bono work that's mm -hmm. being done by the school in this clinic. And the students are the ones that really take up that work, which is really interesting. That's really awesome. It's, it's really cool. But um, I do have to say, like, now I, I started my internship, and it's been very different to get back into a work grind. Because before, whenever, you know, we were thinking about filming and this, I was really, like, looking at my schedule for school where I had classes on certain days, and I know I had certain readings to do, and it felt like the work never ended. But now I'm interning, and... I feel like now it's like the real work is never ending. <laughs> and not that school's not real work. Law school is really, really, really hard. Talk to any lawyer and they'll all be like, yeah, law school's hard, especially yeah. in your first year. But now that I'm interning and I'm, I'm not just answering to like, oh, I'm going to have to get home so late and do my reading so late. It's like I'm answering to my boss. Yeah. Like, if I don't have my work done. And, and I did work for two years before going back into school. But um, legal work is also very different. So this summer I'm actually working at a mediation office in the New York Supreme Court in New York County. So um, we're working on settling cases before they actually go to trial. So it's also, I feel like I'm picking up all these like fun skills. Um, but again, like trying to find times to film and things like that. Um, it makes me admire you so much because you've been working this entire time, season one, season two. So we never actually talked about it. What is work like for you? Um, well, that's really awesome, and I want to get back to some stuff about law school. I actually, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, because it seems like another lifetime ago, but um, I thought I was going to law school for a no big way. portion of Wait, my life. What? Yeah. I took the LSAT twice. First time, I did awful, and then the second time, which was now three years ago, I still haven't looked at my score. Really? Because I don't want to, I don't want to know. It's valid for five years, so. <laughs> I'm not changing. I mean, I hope I'm not changing my mind. I went through this phase where um, any lawyer that I would talk to and I would just like ask advice, like, where should I go? What should I do? What is law 
like what is being a lawyer like and they'd be like well if you're thinking about going to law school don't (laughs) and that was like the conversation and they were half joking but I could see that the other half was not joking at all yep and um I was lucky enough to find this other world this other career as I was finishing up my college degree um and I was lucky enough to get some internships and fellowships in, in the D.C. space. I don't even know how to define, honestly, my job because we just do different things at different times. But I work for a wonderful organization called the Philos Project. Philos is Greek for friend. Um, and specifically, I lead the advocacy team. Um, and right now we're working on a very, very cool project. But when I'm not working on specific project, um, the role of the advocacy team is to work with and defend religious minorities of the Near East. Um, so I've worked with Ethiopian Jews, Copts, obviously, Maronites, Assyrians, Iraqi Christians, um, working to combat bad actors in the region. So it's, it's pretty bland work, but it gets me really, really excited. Um, I do want to tell you about this new project that we just announced, which is called Abraham's Missing Child. Um, and we've talked about doing a whole episode on it, but I'll tell you a little bit about what it is. Um, so after the Abraham Accords were signed, for those of you who don't know what the Abraham Accords were, they were a historic uh, peace agreement, normalization agreement between the UAE and Israel. And um, the only other two countries who had had peace agreements uh, were 40 years ago, and they were Egypt and Jordan. And until then, until now, um, no other Arab country had had open public relations with the Jewish state. And the UAE, um, under the Trump administration, uh, fostered this peace agreement, and they called it the Abraham Accords. And the region um, was not prepared for it. Nobody saw this coming. Obviously, Bahrain, uh, excuse me, the UAE and and Israel had um, known that that was coming. But outside from that, experts, um, people who work on these issues in this region were just bamboozled by this as great turn of events um, and it's changed the region just two years in and we're seeing real effects of what these accords mean um, just two three days ago the UAE announced like a t- an open trade with Israel and it's going to be like tr- 10 trillion dollars worth of business happening in the next few years alone between those two countries but um, as I digress, the Abraham Accords also are, are showing us that the Middle East, the Near East, is moving in a really positive uh, direction. They're, they're doing great things, and um, I won't say what embassy, but we were at an Arab embassy, and the ambassador looked me in the eye and said, um, the region is in a race to open up. And that made my heart so happy because these countries mean a lot to me personally, professionally, Um, And it's great to see them take these great leaps of progress and make these internal declarations to help promote human dignity, human rights, religious freedom. Um, So Abraham's Missing Child was uh, the brainchild of my boss, Robert Nicholson, who's the founder and executive director of the Feelers Project. And he saw the Abraham Accords and and he was like, this is great. Like, you know, the region is moving in a really positive direction. But what's missing from these great things? And it's the indigenous Christians of the region. They have been there since forever, um, have been persecuted and um, experienced real hardship every day at the hands of so many factors. Um, And while the region is moving in this new direction, they're leaving behind these indigenous communities. And we're not talking about a couple people or a couple hundred thousand people. We're talking about millions of people, millions of Christians Um, from the region that have existed in the region for centuries. And um, 
he wrote this op-ed in the Washington Street Journal and it was called Abraham's Missing Child and we got some really good feedback so we sat down and we wondered like how do we bring this to life because it's a good idea at its core. Um, so over the next 12 months we're going to be hosting three conferences in the Mediterranean in the Arab world to talk through how Christians can have a table can have a seat at this Abrahamic table and what's so different about this project um, and what makes it different from other religious freedom movements is that it takes into account Muslim and Jewish voices you cannot talk about the Christians of the region without talking about their neighbors that they've lived with forever um, so I'm really excited about it. I'm the logistical lead, if you will, of this project. We just announced it in D.C. two weeks ago, probably a few weeks when you'll be watching this. Um, but it's really, really excited. We're heading to Athens next um, in September. And you can go to the FILOS website to learn more if you're interested in getting involved. Um, but I'm really excited. It sounds, I'm I have to say it sounds amazing. And one of the things that sounds so amazing about it is Whenever I talk to you, we're always like talking about like, oh, yeah, well, I have to be in D.C. this week or I'm traveling here. I'm traveling there. And I feel like you're always going out somewhere. Yeah. And like back when I worked for two years before going back to law school, I was working with different schools yeah. um, across the U.S., but mainly in the Northeast. And I always had to travel to these schools. And it was one of my favorite parts of the job. Really? Yeah. So how, how do you like like the travel, the up and down, like meeting with people like did COVID affect any of this? Yeah, obviously COVID. Um, I was I was still new at my role when COVID happened, so I was doing pretty much remote work. Uh, but now that things are opening up and with vaccination, I feel a lot safer. Um, I'm meeting a lot of people, and they're so much cooler than I will ever be. And I get to talk to them, and I get to sit and have coffee, and we get to talk about big ideas and life. And um, it's just I feel very very blessed. The traveling is exhausting. And I do pay New York City rent, and it's it makes me like itch when I think about like paying for a bed that I'm not even sleeping in half the time. Um, but I love getting to see the world. I I um, I mean, we talked about our families, and it was whenever I wanted to travel when I was younger in college, I was always shut down. Like it was unsafe or whatnot. You're a woman, you can't travel alone. So I would always like tell my mom as kind of like a threat, like I'm gonna see the whole world, and she would always like be like, okay, okay, like just very dismissive. And now that it's that dream is actualizing like I'm getting to see the whole world <laughs> it's kind of becoming like a bucket list I want to visit everywhere and see everything and meet everyone and I'm lucky enough to do it for a living and get paid for it I love that yeah I love that I'm, I'm not doing it for a living but yeah. the internship I got is fully remote so I mm. will hopefully be traveling almost throughout the whole summer yeah. so um, I just got back from Mexico I'm going to Brazil this week uh, for a family wedding. Um, then I'm going to be in Israel for 10 days with my whole entire family, Ooh. like grandparents to great grandkids. Like the whole family is going to be there. Um, and then hopefully we'll be going to Spain and Portugal. We got a plan to meet up in Israel because I, plan. yeah. We have, to, we have to find a time that we're going to be there at the same time. Yeah, that'd be really fun. Yeah, that, that could be so much fun. I, I haven't been there in, in quite a bit, so I'm, I'm really excited. My grandpa has this like big dream, this big vision where he sees his whole family from the oldest to the youngest just at the hotel together. So we Aww. really want to um you know bring that to fruition he's he's been talking about this trip for for years wow and now we finally get to take it um and i'll be working the whole time so <laughs> i'm gonna have my computer with me i'm gonna be working u.s hours so you know I, i'll be there there's a seven hour time difference for you guys that don't know between here yeah. and israel so i i'll be up for all the time um 
but I think that's a, a really great privilege that I get to have right now. Not not only to have a you know New York Supreme Court internship, yeah, but also to be able to travel and be with my family. So I feel like I'm getting two sides of the sword. And I want to go back to to lawyers, by the way. <laughs> yes, most lawyers you will talk to will tell you. Do not study law. Don't be a lawyer. Most of them actually hate it. It's horrible. Yeah. But I will say there are those that love it. And I was one of the very few people who really enjoyed my 1L year. I had the time of my life. I suffered. Yeah. But I really do like it. I do enjoy law. Um, again, a lot of my really good friends are lawyers. Like Harvard Law lawyers are like, yeah, I hate this. This is the worst. Why did I do this? But at the same time, like there's people who do enjoy what they do. And you know, you always find a little bit of both and maybe I'm a psycho, but I like law. I think it's great. It's nice to actually know how the country works. Like I'm learning so many things that I want to apply in my own life, you know, where I want to show up and be like, huh, did you know that's a tort? I know what a tort is. I think what's really interesting about your law school journey is that you knew what you wanted to become a lawyer for. I think the reason I wanted to be a lawyer um, I had no reason that I wanted to be a lawyer. I think I just was like enamored by the lawyer and I think my parents had it. I was, I was like living my parents' dream. And I think I, I can't speak um, out of like experience because I obviously didn't go to law school, but I think that, is, that, would, that would be a big factor in, in making or breaking a law school journey or a law career. Yeah. You know what you want. You want to defend X, Y, and Z. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just wanted to go to law school because I didn't know what the other options were. I didn't know that I could get a job, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's funny. Actually, I spoke to someone who said that he chose to be a lawyer yeah. because when he was little, he was wearing a suit once at a family wedding or something, and he liked wearing a suit, and he told his other bro older brother, I like wearing a suit, and he said, well, okay, like, enjoy your suit. He said, well, what can I do in my life where I can wear a suit every day? And he said, well, you could be a lawyer. And <laughs> at that moment, he was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. Till this day, he's one of the people that tells me he hates law. Really? And he hates being a lawyer, but he's a great lawyer. Wow. Um, but he keeps saying, yeah, I got to move away from this work. Um, but at the same time, you do meet people who, who had, like me, like the zeroed-in passion crazy thing though is that like you know I came into law school to really you know focus in on hate crimes and discrimination and religious minority persecution and religious liberties that's still my goal but I'm hitting not not hiccups but there's so many like I guess speed bumps yeah. along the way that are like taking me on side quests where it's like I really love property law what I never thought I would care about property law. And then, like, there's some topics that I really thought I would like that turns out I didn't like so much. So it's, it is it is interesting once you see it all in practice. But, um, you know, for anyone listening who wants to go to law school and you want to talk to someone who loves it, let me know. I love law school. I'm always happy to chat with people who are interested in law school. And I, I go to Cardozo um, School of Law, which is part of Yeshiva University. So also just being, you know, Jewish and going to Cardozo, it helped me see the difference between a school that accommodates for Jews and a school that's built around Jews. Mm. So like NYU, when I was there as an undergrad, they accommodated Jews, right? So like if you had school on Yom Kippur, you would talk to your professor and your professor would record the lecture, right? And we had a kosher cafeteria. So like if you wanted kosher food at NYU, you can go and get it. At Cardozo, we don't have school on Jewish holidays at all. It's like understood. On Fridays, there's no class after 2 p.m. Um, all the food in the building is kosher which is amazing. We have kosher microwaves. You don't have to, it's not like it's accommodating for us. Like Jews can be comfortable here. It's like, this is built for Jews. Yeah. And because I'm an international student, even though I'm Jewish, um, I had to go to the international student or orientation. And um, 
it was interesting because I guess I, I never realized that other countries don't really have a lot of Jews um, because they do a whole part of the international student orientation on Judaism. Like you'll mm. walk through a door and you'll see that there's like a stick on the doorpost that people will be kissing. That's called a mezuzah. And you'll walk around, you'll see that we have a sink outside of the bathroom with a special cup. That's for ritual hand washing. You can touch it. It's not sacred. You know, things like that, like that are so, you know, in my everyday life where I'm walking through Cardozo and it's like, oh, yeah, like we have like a Natilat Yadayim, like a hand washing station. Of yeah. course we do, which is so weird and bizarre to think, but also to try to explain to someone who's not Jewish, like, yeah, this is a Jewish thing, but you can touch it. Don't worry about mm. it. Um, so the whole thing's been really, really interesting. Um, and now, Rachel, you can cut this if you want, but I think I'm going to say it. And actually, that's one thing I realized about Israel, right? It's not a country that accommodates for Jews like the U.S. Yeah. It's a country that's built around them. Um, so, yeah, our summer is going to be filled with lots of exciting new things. Uh, we obviously re-record pre-record these, so you'll get to see our lovely faces uh, <laughs> uh, as often as, as you do. We're really excited for season two. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Americanish.